Genesis chapter 4, as we continue our way through this book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 4, we were introduced to Cain and Abel last week, the two sons of Adam and Eve. I primarily made application to Adam and Eve as parents. They had instilled a work ethic into their boys, and they had taught them to walk with God. They obviously set an example that they should honor God by bringing an offering unto God. And this is our responsibility as parents. We must begin early and then stay consistent in teaching our children about God and what He expects. And we must be diligent. Remember that the church isn't supposed to contradict your home. But it ought to complement your home. In other words, who you are here is who you should be in your home. The reason we need to take advantage of every opportunity and live out what we are teaching is because our hope is when our children are old enough to act for themselves and to stand on their own, that they will in turn willingly bring an offering unto the Lord of their own accord. We want them to buy the truth. If we want them to be a living sacrifice for God, we ought to be one. They should see Christ in us. So parents, you should be the right example and the best influence in the lives of your children. Now obviously nothing is a guarantee. We all have a free will to choose for ourselves. And everyone will make their own decisions. If you don't believe in such a thing as a free will, raise children. God makes us all unique. And so everyone will have to make their own decisions as we see here in this chapter. But I think we can all agree that there's a greater likelihood that our children will turn out to serve the Lord if they see that modeled in us. And I have always said that at a minimum, even if your child rebels, they should at least be able to look back at your life and admit that God was real to you. And that you practice what you preached. Well, that was all last week. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of Genesis chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So here we find two brothers who have been raised by their parents to work. They have been raised to acknowledge God. And now that they are grown, they are both willingly bringing an offering unto the Lord. And on the surface here, it looks like we're off to a great start. For both Cain and Abel. Can you imagine... 
the joy of parents here, Adam and Eve, seeing their two sons come and bring an offering without anybody twisting their arm. That's a great thing. No doubt there would have been some joy there. I know my hope and prayer for my children, once they are raised, is that God will still be a part of their life. As you know, Adrian and I have four children. Most of you know that. Our daughter is now married to what appears to be a godly man. She's out of the house. Along with Daisy the cat. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. They now live in Puerto Rico, where thankfully they are serving in an independent Baptist church. It would appear... They are off to a good start, but only time will tell if their walk with God is genuine. And I don't mean by whether or not they stay there. God can move people as He sees fit. But I'm talking about the heart this morning, not a geographic location. And while how we start is important, it's not always how one starts that reveals their heart. But how one lives out the rest of their life will truly reveal whether they have a heart for God or not. I've seen many start well with a great zeal for God, but when that godly zeal is not accompanied with knowledge, you will see people begin to fade, and sadly many have departed altogether. So we still have our three boys in the home. And of course I pray for them often. And I begin to wonder what's going to become of their walk with God once they are on their own. On the surface, it appears they're heading in the right direction. But only them and God know what's in their heart. And I I mention my children, one, because I like to take an opportunity to preach at them. But two, because as a parent, I tried to place myself in Adam and Eve's position here. I wonder if they had felt the same way as they raised their children and as they were becoming teenagers and adults and maybe they felt like, you know, it looks like they're on the right track. Maybe they were relieved when they both wanted to bring an offering unto the Lord. They have raised their children right. They have kept them in church, so to speak. They have taught them to honor God. They have given them a proper education, but as parents, they could not force their children to be right with God in their heart. And now that they're grown, what is in the heart is about to be revealed. Notice with me, please, that at the outset here, it appears on the surface that Adam and Eve have two sons that are heading in the right direction. We often think of Cain and Abel as these two extremes. And while that is going to be true before this account is over, it is not necessarily true at first. And it's important that you get this and stay with me, because when we think of how our children will grow up, we often have these two extremes in mind. Either they're going to love God or they're going to depart from God. And this is how we often view Cain and Abel. Because when we, when we 
read this account, we know the rest of the story. We, we know where this is heading. We know the outcome. And so we immediately jump to these two extremes. Cain is openly rebellious against God and Abel is all in for God. But don't let yourself get ahead of the text. Try to place yourself in this moment before God rejects Cain and his offering. Try to picture how offering day has arrived and you see your two sons coming to bring an offering unto the Lord. What a blessing, right? They both appear to be walking with God. They, they both willingly do this. Neither one, listen, neither one is out there living in the world. I, I want you to see this. It, it's not like one has been openly rebellious and one hasn't. There's not one living out in the world. Uh, neither one appears openly rebellious. Neither have denied the existence of God. Neither are forsaking church, if you will. Uh, neither appear to have the attitude of, I can't wait to leave here and get away from all this God stuff and all these stupid rules. Both appear to acknowledge that God is worthy to receive an offering. Now, I'm just highlighting to you, there's not this stark contrast in the home of a rebel and somebody who loves the Lord. Not at the outset. Cain isn't off somewhere looking at who knows what on his phone. While Abel's off somewhere with his nose in his King James Bible. Cain doesn't have earbuds in listening to wicked music while Cain's walking around humming sweet hour of prayer. Cain isn't wearing a Budweiser t-shirt while Abel's walking around in a three-piece suit. No doubt they both had their problems. They were both born sinners. Neither one were perfect little angels. But understand, we're not looking at two sons that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. In other words, I don't believe there were all these clear outward signs for the parents to see and conclude, Abel, he's going to be fine. He's walking with God. Cain, he's a rebel. He's going to fail. Up until this day, both seemed to have a place for God in their heart. And so I hope you get the picture here that I'm, I'm trying to give you. Both were raised in a godly home. Both were brought to church. Both were probably compliant and respectful children. But as they come to adulthood, we learn that they do not have the same heart. Come to find out, Cain has a major heart issue. And we need to understand that outward actions while living under our authority in the home does not always reveal the heart of a child. Amen. But it's when children grow up and they can make their own decisions, it is then that we find out what has been in their heart all along. We raise them to reverence God, to be in a Bible-believing church where holiness is practiced, where the music is Christ-centered and God-honoring, but then one day they start heading in the wrong direction. 
Cain's heart here is all wrong, even though he's in church. His offering is all wrong, even though he's acknowledging God. He may be in church, but he's not in the right church. He, he might be given an offering, but it's not the right offering. And the temptation at this point by parents is to say something like this, well, at least he's in church somewhere. But what if that church somewhere is simply to conceal what's really in the heart? I hope you understand all churches are not the same. Not all churches offer an acceptable sacrifice. Not all churches preach the same gospel. And as sad as it is, not all churches even stick to the Word of God. And I didn't raise my children in a Bible-believing Baptist church just to be content with them running off somewhere where they can compromise and I have to hang my head and say, well, you know, praise God, at least they're somewhere. They may choose that, but it won't be to my satisfaction or blessing. Listen, there's a reason we use the King James Bible. There's a reason we sing hymns as a congregation. There's a reason we don't have a rock concert. There's a reason I sweat up here in a suit when I preach. There's a reason we operate our missions program the way we do. There's a reason that we run vans. There's a reason that we are a local autonomous church. There's a reason that there's a strong emphasis on church life around here. We need to get bumper stickers that say church life. Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. But understand this, we we can raise them in a godly home and we can raise them in a godly church, but when all is said and done, it comes down to their heart with God. We do our part, but there comes a point when they must do theirs. What else can explain how children who are raised in the same house, raised under the same rules raised under the same doctrine can come to such varying opinions. How is it that you can have all these children in one house and yet they all come to different conclusions about what is acceptable before God? It must be that one has allowed God to touch their heart while another has said, I don't want God in my heart. Cain and Abel had the same parents, lived under the same roof. They received the same upbringing. Both had quality jobs. Both were hard workers. Both were exercising dominion as God had created mankind to do. But they would both go in two opposite directions because of two different hearts towards God. And while Cain may have showed some promise and some zeal for God initially, he's altogether wrong in his heart. And now that Cain has his independence, we begin to see what was truly in his heart all along, and everything is about to go horribly wrong in this family. And I wonder if there are any children here today, any teenagers, maybe even some young adults, and you have been given a godly upbringing, but in your heart, you know you are nothing more than a Cain in waiting. It may not be murder that's on your mind. But you're just doing your time until you can go do what you want. 
Little do you know, you're setting yourself up for everything to go horribly wrong in your life and in your parents' life. Right now, you might look all in. You might be in church every week. You might be even be serving. You might acknowledge that there's a God in heaven, but you know deep down that God does not have respect for you or your offering. And God is not pleased with what you feel like Christianity ought to be. I just think God ought to. I just don't think God's being fair there. God isn't pleased with your contrary opinions of His Word. And listen, you can leave here and I'll promise you somewhere in Rapid City, you can find a church where you can slide right in and you can get them to agree with everything that you want them to, but is God pleased? Listen, you can be a religious rebel. A morally an outward morally good person and still be way far from God. If you aren't following me so far, I want you to get this from our text today. God is only pleased with what He requires. Nothing else. We must let God be true, but every man a liar. Now, as we move along with the text, from the time before God rejected Cain and his offering to when they actually bring their offerings and present themselves before God, in verses 3 through 5, we see that Cain, who was a farmer, brought an offering unto the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, who was a shepherd, brings an offering of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. But God only accepted Abel's offering, and He rejected Cain's. And immediately someone may try to throw out the accusations against God. God isn't fair. God is so intolerant. God is closed-minded. Doesn't God just realize that Cain is doing his best? So what gives here? What is wrong here? What is God's problem? Why did God have respect unto Abel and his offering while not having respect for Cain and his offering? I mean, after all, Cain was a farmer. It makes sense he would bring the fruit of the ground. And after all, Abel was a shepherd. It makes sense he'd bring an offering of sheep. Does God really have to be so narrow all the time? God, help us to draw out the answer. Let's notice, first of all, that this account involves both the offering and the offerer. We read that God had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Some only make this account about the offering. Some only make it about the individual. Some contend this is all about the type of offering they brought without ever really mentioning the heart of the offerer. While some others contend the offering really isn't the issue, but the sole issue is their faith because of what we read in Hebrews 11.4, which says, 
By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And so some conclude that the issue wasn't what the the type of the offering that they brought, um, and that the only reason God accepted Abel's offering is because Abel came in faith. It really didn't matter that he came with a firstling of his flock, but that he came in faith. And, and they'll go on to say, obviously, that God rejected Cain's offering because Cain did not come in faith, not so much that he brought fruit of the ground. But even Hebrews 11.4 is making a distinction between the offering and the offerer. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. There should be no doubt that it is both about the offering and the offerer. And to those who make this all about their faith and nothing to do with what they offered, I say it is their faith which drove what they decided to offer. They demonstrate what or who their faith is in by what they offer to God. In other words, I'm suggesting to you this. If Abel didn't have faith, he wouldn't have brought an animal as a sacrifice. And if Cain did have faith, he wouldn't have brought the fruit of the ground as a sacrifice. Or as an offering, I should say. So what is it that makes these two offerings so different? Very simply stated, one is a blood sacrifice and one isn't. I'm in the camp which believes Abel's offering pictures the way of God is through the blood. While Cain's offering is picturing man's attempt to come before God on the basis of his own good works. And frankly, I'm surprised at the number of preachers who teach this has nothing to do with the type of the offering. Isn't it interesting that Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground and when his parents first sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves, which we could make the application is from the fruit of the ground. On the other hand, isn't it interesting that Abel brings an offering of his flock, and when his parents placed their faith in God's promised seed to come, God sacrificed an animal, shed its blood to cover them. So to me, the picture here is clear. Cain comes before God on the basis of his good works, while Abel comes before God on the basis of an innocent, bloody substitute. And Abel brings the fat thereof of his flock. That simply means he brought the best of the best. The firstlings were the best, and he brought brought the fat thereof of the best. God made it clear in chapter 3 that He would not accept a works-based religion, but that He only accepts blood. And now in chapter 4, God is making it clear once again that He will not accept a works-based religion, but that He will only accept blood. So in the first two generations of humanity, we are brought face to face with the fact that there are only two schools of thought in the world on how to come to God. Works or grace. We have names for the various religions and denominations out there. We give them titles. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventism, Catholicism, Christianity, Baptist, 
Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Reformed, Methodist, and on and on we could go. But these are merely human classifications. With God, there's only two. Salvation by works or salvation by grace. And any religious group or denomination which teaches man has anything to do with obtaining or earning or meriting or helping God out with their salvation is contradicting the Scriptures. Period. On the other hand, the only true religion, if you will, regardless of the name you want to hang on it, are the ones who teach humanity is totally lost, utterly incapable of saving themselves, and therefore must go to God alone for salvation through Christ's sacrifice, His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Period. You can take any teaching out there and you can bring it down to one of these two. Either it's Christ plus whatever you want to add. Works, baptism, church membership, whatever. Or it's Christ plus nothing. Either it's we've got to work our way to whatever deity we believe in, or we understand that we are not good enough and so God had to come down to us. The message of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ is a demeaning message. Listen, this is why... This is why true Christianity, I don't care what the world labels as Christianity, this is why true Christianity is offensive. Because people might admit, yeah, I'm a sinner, I know I need some help from God, but if you tell people you are dead in your trespasses and sins and you are totally depraved, they will be insulted. But one cannot be saved until they admit they are hopeless. Helpless without God. And admit that they must completely rely on God's grace alone. And it is the recognition of this truth, or the lack thereof, which causes the difference between Cain and his offering, and Abel and his offering. Cain's religion does not understand the enormity of their sinfulness against God. They don't see who they really are apart from God. If they did, they would come to see that they could never save themselves. Why else would God sacrifice His only begotten Son if there were many different ways to God? Cain is deprived of an adequate sense of his sin. And because he does not have an adequate sense of his sin, he comes before God with an inadequate sacrifice. He doesn't see himself as that bad. The religion of Cain is the religion of self-righteousness. But you need to rid yourself of who you think you are and only come before God on the merits of the blood of Christ. And this is why God is so narrow. God didn't send Christ and and butcher Him. If you could add your works to help get there. Listen, it doesn't make logical sense. 
The Bible is so absolutely clear that there's only one way to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we discover what is the big deal. Cain's faith says, I can impress God with my good works. Abel's faith says, I can't be good enough, therefore I must come to God through the blood. Cain comes before God in pride. Abel comes before God in humility. Cain comes before God with his head held high. Abel comes before God with his head bowed to the ground. Cain comes before God unrepentant. Abel comes before God in humble submission. Cain comes with an offering from the field. Abel comes with an offering dripping with blood. Cain comes trusting in his own self-righteousness. Abel comes trusting in God's righteousness. Cain comes in his own strength. Abel comes pleading God's mercy. Cain doesn't agree with God's requirement. Abel accepts God's requirement. And this is why God did not have respect unto Cain and his offering. And this is why God did have respect unto Abel and his offering. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So I want you to understand today, the only way you can be accepted before God is by His requirements. You must humble yourself and admit, I'm in need of His righteousness. Why doesn't God accept Cain and his offering? Because it's not what God required. So what are you trusting in today? your own works, or God's amazing grace. Don't think you can stand before God justified with anything other than the precious blood of Christ and His righteousness. In that great hymn, Rock of Ages, we sing, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and Thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. 
simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to Thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. What's your religion this morning? Let's pray.